0: All right, are you ready to get into God's Word? I want to encourage you wherever you are, open your Bible, open your app, find yourself. Let's just take a few moments and, and just come into God's Word and engage together. You know, this is, um, this is not easy. I want to tell you, this is not, I'm experiencing a tremble in my own soul, you know, being in a room like this. I miss all of you. Profoundly, I really miss all of you. I, I miss Billy. Being with him, he's, he's home on self-quarantine, do some family things going on, and just, I, I miss him. Um, I miss Jeff, you know, I, my partner, my brother, who's, who's at home right now. He's getting ready um, in the morning to uh, start chemo and radiation. I mean, this is, these, are not, these are not easy times. I'm hearing from so many of you during the week. You're, you're home, many of you are losing your jobs. There's a sickness and all these things are happening. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's tough. It's really, it's just, a, it's just a, tough moment. And, but you know, it's, it's a moment that didn't catch God by surprise. He didn't wake up a couple of weeks ago and realize, oh my goodness, there is a pandemic about ready to hit the land. What are we going to do? Because God knew this moment would come. God knew it would come. Even the prophet Haggai long ago said there would be times of great shaking. Great things would happen. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we're in a moment just like that. But it's not just any ordinary moment. It is a moment for the church, for us, the body of Christ. It is a for such a time as this moment. It's an opportunity for us to shine. You know, we're, we're not able to be in a building experiencing this together right now because we know that the church isn't a building and we're finding that out in a very real and powerful way we're in our homes and we're and we're out and about we're outside of the four walls of this place and we're getting the truth that the church is not a building it is it is you and it's me and it's the sons and daughters of the king we are the church, and we are where we're supposed to be right now, in our homes, in the neighborhoods, with opportunities for us to really shine and be the church of Jesus Christ. I want to read a uh, passage of Scripture, and then we're going to pray and just begin to get into, get into God's Word and say, Lord, what is this moment? We don't want to waste the moment. We don't want to waste the gift, the, the, the opportunity we have right now to arise and shine and let the light of God come and let the glory of God come. John 13 34 Let's read this. John 13, 34. A new commandment, Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Father, I ask you, Lord, that in these next few moments, As I'm standing right here, as we're in cars and we are in our living rooms and we're around our region, we want to encounter your word. Lord, we just don't need a sermon for a sermon's sake. Father, we need, Lord, we need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this moment. Lord, we need a frame of reference, God, that is your words, your words that are spirit and they are life, they are eternal, they are the lens by which we interpret all events in this world through what your word says. I pray, Father, that by, that by your spirit we would come alive to the moment we're in, we'd come alive to the opportunity that you have before us right now with our families and our, and our friends and those around us in this time. So we love you, Jesus. Help us, God in this moment, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a parent, you know this. If you're not a parent, you probably remember your parents doing this for you. But your parents would not always tell you what to do. They would actually show you how to do it. They would, they would tell you, listen, let me show you how to tie your shoe. And you would show your child that this, this is how you do it. And then you would turn to your kid and say, now that I have shown you how to do it, now I want you to do it. In this passage, what we're seeing from Jesus is that Jesus is telling us, he said, I have shown you how to love. Now you love one another in the way I have loved you. So it's not just a command to love one another, it's a command to love in a way that Jesus taught us how to love. He pointed us higher and higher. And if we're going to be a people in this moment that's going to shine like we're supposed to shine, we need to love like Jesus taught us how to love. It is imitation. We are imitating him. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, you can look at this, says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in, in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant offering so we're being invited to love like Jesus loved and when you read your bibles in particular the book of acts you find out the early church got it they they understood this right out of the gate Acts 2, 44 through 45 gives us a description of what the early church was doing. It says that now all who had believed were together. They had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Pretty exciting when you see what they were actually doing, especially if you lay what they were doing right up next to how we commonly do church. Yet we are right now in a season being invited into this. You see, this New Testament church, this wasn't very long after the resurrection of Jesus. This wasn't very long after the day of Pentecost, they were living in the epicenter of salvation and encounter with the Holy Spirit. And through salvation and a legitimate, authentic encounter with the love of God, it produced a people that were living like this and loving like this. And Jesus says that the world is going to know we're legitimate. The world's going to know that we're real, not by our buildings or our great preachers, or our great worship teams and great methodologies. What makes us legit is that we are loving one another as Christ has loved us. It is the ultimate litmus test. It is the thing that's going to be a magnet in a lost and dying world that's going to bring people to us, not because of our services, but because of the texture and the reality of how well we love each other. And I so believe that this is a moment in time, as we are all being shaken, we are invited to begin to really step up and to love one another in a powerful and a profound way. In this New Testament church, we see that they loved like Jesus in a sacrificial way and a generous way. Jesus is the supreme role model for what love looks like. We don't look to anyone else to define what love looks like for us. We don't look to Hollywood. We don't look to romance novels. We don't look anywhere but straight to Jesus himself to teach us how we are supposed to love. We measure our love by the standard setter. And our standard setter is the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, how we see him love. Scripture. How we experience His love toward us is the manner in which we're going to be able to love one another. That's the moment we're getting invited into. That's how we're going to shine, in particular in times like this. So I'm just going to take a few moments with us to talk about three areas how Jesus loved and that how we can be encouraged and provoked to love just like Him. The standard is a love, right? He's the standard, and the standard is a love that is undeniable, unselfish, and unconditional. These are the three factors that embody how Jesus loved. Undeniable love, unselfish love, and unconditional love. So we're going to take a moment and look at Jesus. First, he loved in an undeniable way. It was undeniable. When Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, The crowd said, and they observed, behold how he loved him. We find out when you read the story of the rich young ruler, even as he walked away from the invitation to follow Jesus, scripture tells us that Jesus loved him. Jesus provided concrete examples day after day that he loved people. In his teachings, his miracles, his healings, his acts of service, Jesus' love was undeniable. And it wasn't just an arbitrary act. Jesus did not consult Dale Carnegie on how to win friends and and influence people. These were not arbitrary acts, but they flowed from a deep place in Jesus himself. When you read the Gospels, it's interesting, there's a little phrase that occurs often as it's describing Jesus. It's the phrase, moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Now, the Greek here is a a powerful word for moved. It's splachizomai. No, it's not an Italian dish. It's a Greek word for moved. Splachizomai. And what that literally means, it's a little... Um, Odd for us to say, but it's it's to to have our inward parts yearn. It literally means, I don't want to be offensive, but it literally means your bowels to yearn. In other words, what, what the Greek is conveying there, it's a deep gut feeling from the innermost place. So when Jesus was moved with compassion, it flowed out of something deep inside of him and it caused him and moved him To action into an into an undeniable love, we see this throughout the life of Jesus, and to me, one of the most profound times we see it is going to happen in a couple of weeks. We're going to celebrate Good Friday. We're going to celebrate when Jesus hung on a cross, and you and you remember the words, right? He is he is hanging on the cross. He is looking at all the people that whipped him and beat him. It was the same people that screamed, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Yet Jesus would utter these words and say, forgive them, they know not what they do. That the compassion of Jesus and the love of Jesus was able to look at all those who had betrayed him, yet with open hands and open heart, forgive them, they don't know what they do. You see, if we're going to love in the same way that Jesus loved, we must love in a real way. It's got to be something that flows from within us. To love like Jesus, we too must love in such a way that it can't be denied by his clear teaching and actions. Jesus left no room for doubting his love, no room for doubting. And our love should be undeniable when we express it to people. We should live in that same way. Check this passage out. In 1 Peter 1, 22. the word says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Love each other deeply. So we find that this love that we're being invited into is a love that's going to flow from the deepest place inside of us. So how can then our love for one another be undeniable, flowing from a deep place? Because it's a love that actually shows love. Biblical love is not just limited to kind of a ooey-gooey emotional thing. In other words, the love the Bible talks about is an an action-oriented love that's connected and flows out of a deep place inside of us. In other words, it is measurable. It is quantifiable. It is generous. It is undeniable. 1 John 3.18 says, My dear little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is an undeniable love. It is measurable. It is quantifiable. It is generous. You can see it. You can feel it. You can experience it. It manifests itself. Well, it's not only an undeniable love we see from Jesus that we're being invited into. It is is an unselfish love. It's an unselfish love. This can be particularly problematic for us because too often we love out of a selfish motive. If I am nice to this person, then I might get something in return. We have an expectation, if not a latent expectation, of a reciprocity that will come when I love, I'm actually expecting something in return. This is not what Jesus is inviting you and me into. Jesus taught us to give, to expect nothing in return. He taught us to give without announcing it or blowing a horn. He even went on to say that the, that the, that the right hand shouldn't even know what the left hand is doing. Jesus practiced this kind of love, and he showed us how to love this way. Paul sums up the ministry of Jesus in Philippians 2 by saying that Jesus himself actually emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. Jesus was not concerned about quid pro quo. He wasn't concerned about trying to get anything. He was not concerned about earthly wealth and fame. He just loved with complete unselfishness. Now, if you're like me right now, you're probably feeling like, wow, I can't love like that. There's no way I can do this. And if you're coming to that place, you're exactly right. Because what we're being invited into is not what we can produce ourselves, but is what is being produced in us by the Holy Spirit. In other words, to love like this is a work of grace in us. And as we abide, in the love of God, as John 15 bears out, you can read this at home. As we abide in his love, the more his love flows through us. There's a result of abiding in his love, then his love will, throw, will flow through us. Because when we are born again, something happens inside of us. We become somebody brand new. I love this passage in 2 Peter 1.4. It says, um, by which have been given to us these exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Partakers of the divine nature. When you are born again, something happens. God puts in us the Holy Spirit, a treasure comes inside this earthen vessel we begin to experience his love and as we learn to abide in that love and the more we know him the more like him we become and the more the love of god flows out of us We're being engaged into intimacy with the Father. This is the key. This is the hinge by which the divine love will flow out of us as we abide inside of him. If there's no abiding in him, it's going to minimize this this undeniable and this unselfish love. In other words, it's connected to the treasure in us. It is an undeniable and it is an unselfish love that comes from knowing him and knowing him first. Well, lastly, and... Perhaps most awesome to me is this is a, it's, a, it's an unconditional love. It's an undeniable love, it's an unselfish love, and it's an, it's an unconditional love. This may be the hardest way for us to imitate Jesus because all too often we put conditions on our love. We say, I will love you if you do this or when you do this. The um, operative words of the word if. In the word when we put conditions on it but when we look at Jesus we see a a picture of, of unconditional love John 3:16 says you know for God so loved the world that that he gave his, his his only begotten son and the sad truth is did the love did the world love him in return no John 11 says he came to his own and his own received him not. Romans 5, 8 declares, but God demonstrates his love for us in that yet while we, you and me, were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A complete, unconditional love. that I'm going to love you in such a way, not expecting anything in return. I'm laying everything down, not holding on to anything. Because so often we love people because... Because, because of what they do for us. Because they haven't done anything hurtful to us. Because they're sharp or or they're cool or they have great personalities or maybe they're not terribly irritating. So we choose to love them. But yet Jesus calls us to this, this unconditional love. Think about this. To love others even if they've never done anything for you or ever will. To love them. Ephesians 4.2 words it like this, to bear with one another in love. I like that verse. It's so real. Right? we got to, like, put up with each other. But not in a mean or a haughty way, but I mean bear with one another in love, which means that, that we get the opportunity to put up with the idiosyncrasies in each other. We get to spend time with the ones who aren't necessarily the most beautiful people or the most popular people. Or maybe in a lower economic bracket than you. I remember um, an event that took place in my life when I was in seventh or 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 eighth grade. I I had been born again maybe for a couple of years, and um, I would have maybe fallen in, in this in this crowd in seventh eighth grade. I was in kind of with the cool kids, and there was this kid that moved into our area and started going to our school, his name, I remember his name clearly, his name was Harold Ralph Currier, and he was from Connecticut. Harold Ralph Currier from Connecticut. And so Harold was one of these kids that come into school, and if you're a student in middle school, high school, maybe even elementary school, I mean, really listen, because I mean, kids can be profoundly mean to each other sometimes. And Harold was just kind of one of these unusual, weird kids. He didn't fit in well. People made fun of him. And, and in my heart, I felt sorry for him. But yet my group of friends that I was associating with at the time would make fun of him. And see, he didn't live very far from the school. So the you know, leader of our little friend group, Cadre, man, I said, let's go after school and let's just beat up Harold Ralph Courier. And I was like, we can't. I was like, I oh, don't know. But I mean, I had to be cool, right? So that was, man, that's, this, was the, this was like the, this was the mid-80s. I had my Levi jacket on. It was rolled up. I had my T-shirt on. And I got with, my, got with my homies, my buddies. And we're like walking down the street. And the whole time inside of me, I'm thinking, this is so wrong. This is so wrong. And we walk, and we find where he was living in a mobile home. And we hollered at him to come out. One of my friends had actually picked up A chain. And was gonna, we were going to pretend to maybe you know, threaten him with it or, or hurt him. And we got around him, and we mocked him. We called him every name in the book. And it was, I mean, it was, it was absolutely horrible what we did. And I got home that night, and I was laying in bed. And I, I remember this vividly. I was I'm in seventh, eighth grade, and the Holy Spirit just broke my heart. I said, oh, my gosh, what have I done? What have I done to this kid? I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh, well, this is not how you've called me to love. This is, does not look like love. This isn't, doesn't look like you, Jesus. And I, I, rem- I could not wait to get back to school the next day. And it came time for the cafeteria. Remember the cafeteria moments? You can kind of tell the pecking order when you look at the cafeteria and who's sitting with who. And Harold would always sit right by himself. And I remember I made a beeline for Harold Ralph or from Connecticut. And I sat down next to him. And I said, Harold, I am, I am so sorry. Man. Please forgive me. And I chose to sit next to him and become his friend in that moment. But, man, it, like, it like, really, it like really tore me up. I mean, we're, we're, we're invited to show love to people that aren't necessarily like us, that don't necessarily look like us, people that in the natural we might not necessarily like, but we're invited to love people. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, being moved by genuine compassion. And it's moments like that that define who we are. Moments that, like that I failed in that moment to show, held courier, the love and the care and the protection that the gospel called me to. I was living in denial of that truth inside me. We're called to love people like that. We're even called to, to love our enemies in an unconditional way. To love those who hate us. To love those who have, who have hurt us or, or said hurtful things to us this all sounds absolutely impossible doesn't it to actually love like this for us it is it is impossible but with jesus it's it's not impossible without abiding in his love our love for others cannot be undeniable unselfish and unconditional unless we are intentionally Abiding in the love of God. Unless we as sons and daughters are truly first commandment first people. Loving him with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength. We are never going to be able... To fulfill the second commandment and love our neighbor as ourself. It's all built upon the fountainhead of us abiding in the love of God. Because you know what happens when you abide in the love of God? Two things is going to happen in all of our heart that enables us to love in an undeniable, unselfish, unconditional way. One is we get to fulfill 1 Corinthians 13 that says love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That when we are able to love with His love, that means we can live with an unoffendable heart. Because the moment we begin to get an offended heart, the moment we start keeping a list, a record of wrongs, with our wife, our husband, our kids, our neighbors, our enemies, when we keep a tally of these things, there's no way the love of God can flow through us. Now, I didn't walk in these truths for a very long time, and, and, and God helped me to understand this with a, with a real simple illustration that I want to share with you. Now, most of us have some realistic expectations. So if, if you go to the bank and, and you deposit $100 into your account, you have an expectation, I have an expectation, that when I pull out my debit card or, or I write a check, that I'm going to get that money back. I can go to the ATM machine, I can put it in my card, and I can withdraw that which I deposited. That's a reasonable, that's a human, normative way to think. When I invest something, I have an expectation that I'm going to get something back. Now, I found out something over the years as, as I love people, especially in ministry. When you're pastoring, you have a chance to love a lot of people. But I didn't even recognize it in myself. I had this like underlying expectation that when I loved somebody and I married them and buried them and walked them through tragedy, I guess I guess I just had this like expectation that that they were going to love me back, or or they would be kind of loyal, or they would be right there. And over the years, I found out not everybody did that. Not everybody loved back. Not not every and. and in fact, some people would forget everything that you'd ever done. That you would walk people through situations in life and help them and serve and all this, and you hit one ripple in the relationship, and it's as if there's nothing in the account. All the money that I deposited, well, it wasn't just zero. It was like in negative numbers. It was like overdraft protection was in in play. And I remember thinking, what what's what's wrong with this? Why am I why am I experiencing this? this this pain and hurt in in an ongoing way. And it was when the Holy Spirit began to convict me. He said, because you're not loving with an unconditional love. You're not loving with an unconditional love. You see, this can be very subtle and not necessarily overtly evil because I was applying human reasoning to a kingdom reality. It's reasonable as human beings, when I make an investment, I should get a return. That's a reasonable thing. But we're invited into a love that says, I can love you. I can express love to you without expecting anything in return. Only God can do these things through our hearts. Because of this, Matthew ten eight, Jesus is giving this command. He's, he, he's, he's telling his disciples, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. So freely give. Not expecting anything in return. That's what we're being invited into. This is the way that Jesus has called us to love. And it only happens, brothers and sisters. It's not about getting around having to do this and having to do that. It's about encountering the love of God ourselves, and from a place of inviting in his love and experiencing his love then I can begin to love others. It was a moment I share this now so often because at the beginning of last year, the Lord just touched me so profoundly with with his love. And he and he and he helped me to to get this revelation because I'd be praying, praising so, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to do your will. I want to do your will. I want to, I want to be about, I want to be that that action-oriented guy. I want to do your will. And I just remember so much that the that the Lord said, Listen, I I know, son, you want to do my will. And that's great. But what's more important than you wanting to do my will, I need you to know that you are my will. And I need you to know the difference between those two things. There's a difference between wanting to do God's will and having a revelation that I am his will. Because it's only when I get the revelation that God didn't create me, he didn't create you, he didn't create us to get something done. He created us for love. He created us to know him and to abide in his love. And then the byproduct are The action-oriented things. But the product is knowing the love of God that passes all knowledge. When I know that, if that's the product, the byproduct is going to be loving other people. So I don't have to try so hard and, you know, work myself up into some kind of love. I'm going to love you even if it kills me. That's not what we're called to. We're called to abide in His love and... and receive this tsunami of the love of God and we receive it freely and then it just flows right out of us and we find ourselves then experiencing the love of God and we are moved with splachism, We're moved with compassion that causes us into an action oriented love so much so like in the New Testament church they did radical things like if somebody had a need they would sell something and they would meet the need We're going to get a chance to do that in this season. We're going to have opportunities right now to help people in significant ways to experience this radical love. You may say, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Listen, abide in His love. Know the love of God that passes all understanding. And that manifestation of His love is the byproduct of knowing His love. And I tell you guys, I know what it's like to live in the absence of that revelation. I know what it's like to live 10, 15, 20 years in full-time ministry with all about the action-oriented stuff and not about the being thing. And it changes everything when you get a revelation of how much he loves you and the place of abiding in him. And what happens is when you abide in the vine, when your branch abides in him, the byproduct on the branch is going to be something called fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. You see, that's the byproduct. The product is being in the vine. The byproduct is the fruit. So quit trying to produce fruit on your own. Quit trying to create that apple or that grape or that banana. Quit trying to force love and force joy and force peace because you're never going to be able to. It's always going to be lacking and frustrating. But if you abide in the vine... The fruit's gonna grow all by itself. And this is the truth. Well, just a just a few concluding thoughts as we kind of land this virtual airplane. Hebrews 3:13 3, Hebrews 3, is a is a sobering passage relating to this love that really creates a context for us to understand what's happening with this. Shaking that's taking place through the pestilence, this COVID-19. It says Hebrews 3:13 advice. He says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I want to read it again. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now there is a warning in this passage, that if we fail to love one another well, we risk becoming hardened of heart. And the Bible warns us that in the last days, in Matthew 24, that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So this truth of abiding in his love and being a conduit in his love is to protect our hearts from the end time scenario that's going to come when many, when many, many love will grow cold in many hearts. We have to protect us from these things to understand what is happening. So we need to be a people who are, who are praying about abiding more greatly and intentionally in the love of God and asking God for that revelation. Lord, Lord, continue the revelation that, Lord, that, 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 Lord, I, I need to know that you made me for yourself. You made me for your pleasure. That I can know your love. I can experience your love. I will tell you, it's kind of funny. You know, um, ever since I had this beautiful encounter with the Lord last year, I can still myself almost at any moment in the car or at, or at home and get like really, really quiet. And I can say, Lord, I just, I need to sense your love. And I can, I can actually, there's a, there's a feeling associated with it in my heart. I feel his love. I feel a bubbling joy that's inside of me always. This is what knowing and abiding in the love of God does for us. Let's pray, and I want to just give you give you just five questions. Um, five questions. I just want to ask you that you can share with your family. You can you can answer these answer these together. But first, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for truth. Thank you for conviction, Lord. Thank you for conviction. That's not condemnation, but it's, a, but it's a conviction with an invitation. Lord, you convict us because Lord, we see how far we have to go and how, how incapable we, we are and we, and, and we see that in, in, in truth that we are all zero, that there's really nothing good in us. We see that through conviction. But Lord, right on the heels of that, Lord, is this great invitation to, to abide in you, to, to experience your love, to know that, that you're not just a king, but you're a father king. You're a father king. And you're not just a father king. You're, you're a father who wants to introduce a bride to his son. And we begin to discover this incredible thing called the love of God. And from that place, Lord, we become the aroma of Jesus, and people will just naturally smell it. We become a letter that you're writing on our hearts, on our tablets of of our hearts, that people will read and they'll experience it because of the treasure that's inside of us. So, Lord, I thank you that right now, Lord, we say, Lord, we welcome your conviction. We welcome that in a moment like this when everything that can be shaken is being shaken, Lord, we don't want to fail in this opportunity that you are giving us to draw close to you and close to one another to allow you to do a deep work in all of our hearts. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. So five simple questions. You can write these down or if you want to, you can log on to the website, mynewbridge.church. Scroll down, click on. Message notes and, and those questions will be there so you're not having to frantically write it down. But here's, the, here's just the first question. How is this time training your heart and your family? How is this season, this pandemic, everything that we're experiencing right now, health-wise, financially, politically, how, how is this time training your heart and your family? It's a great question to ask your kids, to ask your wife, ask your husband. Second question, is this crisis exposing any idols in your life? What is an idol? The things that we lean to and look to over Jesus. Perhaps we've had, we've been looking to our 401ks. Well, oh my goodness. We're finding out that's not so solid after all, is it? Perhaps we're looking to healthcare systems and advanced technology. But we're being shaken. It's a, it exposes idols inside of us. What are, we, what are we looking to? Are we really looking to Jesus for everything? Are we trusting with all of our heart, all of our, all of our soul, mind, and strength? The third one, practically. Who should you reach out to today? Who should you, I ask you right now, who should you call right now, the moment you turn this off? Who should you call? Who should you pray with? There's somebody. There's a Lazarus at your door. There's somebody right now that, that you could make a profound impact in just to call them and encourage them and see if they have, they have a need that, that, that you can meet or some groceries you can live on their doorstep. I don't know. Who should you reach out to today? Number four. What is something you can do with your children and grandkids to serve someone else? If you're like me, I'm finding myself having an unusual amount of time at home. And you know, there's more to this moment than clean out closets. There's more to the moment than getting some yard work done that need to be done. Those are great. Those are great things to do. But man, maybe there's something we can specifically do. I I heard from one of you just a few days ago, and you're having your kids write little letters of encouragement and you're walking through your neighborhood and you're putting on people's mailboxes. You're practicing social distancing, but yet you're encouraging people in the neighborhood. Your kids are drawing pictures. Man, that's just, that's beautiful. You're writing prayers and pictures. People are so open now as opposed to times past. And lastly, as a family, I I encourage you, maybe even this afternoon or sometime this week, I encourage you to discuss the example of how Jesus taught us to love in connection with 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. In other words, take a moment, and 1 Corinthians 13 is not just the wedding chapter. That's the only, in other words, we hear it at weddings, but it's actually more than just that. Read through what love looks like in connection to how Jesus taught us to love. And let's measure ourselves by that standard. You see... This isn't about trying to get God to do something. This season is not about trying to get God to do something. It's an opportunity for our hearts to get conditioned to see his will. Think about that for a second. Don't interpret these kind of moments and God do this and God do that. Just just take a moment and think, maybe God, what are you really doing here? And I believe it's an opportunity for our hearts to be conditioned to actually see his will. God is changing our hearts. He's not changing His will. His will is steadfast, but our hearts are to be changed. I want to close just with this, and I promise this is a real closing. It's something my my friend and brother and pastor, partner, comrade in arms, Jeff Lyle posted um, just this past week. And I love these words that he put out in a uh, blog. I want to repeat them and then say one final prayer. Jeff says this, this is the season where God wants us to war against what doesn't belong in our hearts. This is the God-ordained chapter where we win by laying down and loving until the breakthrough finds us. If there was a recap to the whole message this morning, is this simple quote. I'll read it again. This is the season where God wants us to war against what doesn't belong in our hearts. This is the God-ordained chapter where we win by laying down and loving until the breakthrough finds us. Father, we gather right now, Lord. We hear what you're saying. In this moment, this is the season. This is the opportunity for us to shine for you. This is the opportunity right now, Lord, for us to take a fresh look at you, Jesus. To see how you loved. And to be invited to love like you loved. And in that moment of conviction, we realize, oh, Lord, I can't do this. And then you look at us and you say, yeah, that's exactly right. You can't do this. But I can do this through. Through this squeezing that we're in, it's going to expose the treasure inside of us, the treasure of Jesus and the love of God. So, Father, make it practical. Make it real. Let it drive us to the cross through experiencing encounter in your love, and may it drive us to one another in in a meaningful love, God, that is generous and sacrificial and lavish bless your sons and daughters bless my family right now god my church family my spiritual family wherever they are Lord, let them feel and and sense your righteous right hand let them look right at you and confess over their checkbooks god over their apps for their banks let them just say lord you're jehovah jireh not wells fargo not mutual funds you're jehovah jireh i look to you you are jehovah rafa thank you for medicine thank you for doctors and nurses and all those that are working so hard. But at the end of the day, Lord, we don't look to them. We look to you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the son of righteousness who rises with healing in your wings. So we look to none other like the disciples of old who who looked at you and so many were running away. And you asked them, why aren't you running? And Lord, they responded, where else are we going to go? You alone, Jesus. Have the words of eternal life. You're it. You are plan A. There's no plan B. You're it. You're it, Jesus. We love you and bless you and thank you. And all of us said together, Amen. Amen.